Get it. Wednesday, October 23rd, 2019. Born the Battle number 168. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, benefits, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you're having a great week outside of podcast land. Last week, I was on an interagency panel discussion with other government podcasts. Before this, I did not know that the Department of State had a podcast, as does the Department of Energy and the National Institute of Health. And the links to all those podcasts are now in this show notes on blogs.va.gov. We talked about how each podcast got started, different ways that we produce and communicate to our audiences and such. Uh, the reason I'm bringing it up on here on Born the Battle is that a lot of other government agencies, agencies like the Small Business Administration, GSA, and the like, would like to figure out ways to reach veterans better. And that got me thinking. I was thinking about maybe once a month, uh, do you as an audience want me to put together an episode with news releases from other agencies? If so, let me know on either the blog of this episode, uh, blogs.va.gov, or on a review. I always like reviews on iTunes. Brings us up in the algorithm better. Or email me directly at podcast at va.gov and let me know if that's something that you would like to start receiving as, uh, as a listener. Also last week, my wife and I closed on the party barn. Yes. Uh, they cured all the issues from that I talked about on the last episode, and we signed all the documents on uh, on Friday. So, if you've been listening over the past couple of months, or especially on episode 150, you know that I've been using my VA home loan for a new home build. I hope you all got something out of all the updates. We are closing on the house and on that chapter of the podcast, and I don't plan on any more updates. Of course, unless something comes up that I'm not thinking about that happens with the house, I'll definitely let you guys know about it if, it bene- if, I, know, if I think that it can benefit you. One review, three ratings this week. Thank you. Much appreciated. Brings us higher in the algorithms, like I said. This one is from Eagle Eye 1218 Great breakdown and spotlight. I really love that I found Born the Battle. Great breakdown of benefits, along with enjoying the spotlight of veterans. Tanner always has awesome energy in his voice, so it's easy to listen to. Have already recommended to friends. Eagle Eye 1218, thank you so much for the review. Uh, I, too, am glad that you found Born the Battle. Thank you so much for recommending it to your friends. Um, again, I'm always happy to learn that veterans are getting something out of the Benefits Breakdown episodes and uh, the stories that we bring here on Born the Battle. So, so thank you, Eagle Eye, and for uh, anyone else, keep them reviews coming. Four news releases this week. First one says, for immediate release, VA awards millions in adaptive sports grant funding for disabled veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs awarded $14.8 million in grants for adaptive sports programs benefiting veterans with disabilities and disabled members of the armed forces at the end of September. That at the end of September should be at the front of the sentence, but, you know, we'll let it slide. Of the total... $1.5 $1.5 million is being used to support organizations that offer equine-assisted therapy, horse-assisted uh, horse therapy, to support mental health. 
There's a quote from the secretary, and then it says, the VA awarded 126 grants to national, regional, and community programs, which will reach 11,000 veterans and service members from every state, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. VA awards the grants to veteran service organizations, city and regional municipalities, and other community groups to provide a wide range of adaptive sports opportunities. The grants will also benefit national governing bodies, which prepare high-level athletes for Paralympic competition. Grant recipients may use the funds for planning, developing, managing, and implementing adaptive sports programs. In addition to equine therapy, the grants will support well-known adaptive sports such as cycling, kayaking, and archery to less traditional sports like hiking, hunting, and paragliding. Information about the awardees and details of the program are available at www.va.gov forward slash adaptive sports, all one word. And you can follow at sports for vets for the number four on social media. Okay, the next one says for immediate release. VA Ribbon Cutting Ceremony Brings Healthcare Closer to Home for Rural Veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs celebrated its latest telehealth innovation on October 16th at the Veterans of Foreign Wars Post Number 6786 in Eureka, Montana, with the grand opening of the first VA accessing telehealth through local area stations, or otherwise known as ATLAS site which will benefit up to 300 veterans living in that community. And we have a video of Atlas. Uh, I'll post a link in the show notes as well. We also have a, a, a video on, on social media, on Facebook and YouTube of Atlas. If you just Google it, you'll find it. This state-of-the-art remote telehealth exam room is the first of many that will be opened in partnership with veteran service organizations, bringing VA healthcare closer to rural veterans in their communities and reducing the need for them to travel along long distances for select healthcare appointments. Quote from the secretary, and I'll read this one. Our goal is to make sure every veteran has access to healthcare. Atlas addresses another healthcare hurdle for veterans living in rural areas with limited internet access and it's a great example of how public and private organizations can work together to solve the challenges of healthcare. Atlas exam rooms provided by the VFW and designed in its partnership with Philips provide telehealth equipment in a secure and private space, allowing veterans to conduct virtual appointments with VA providers. Philips is a health technology company focusing on improving people's health and enabling better outcomes by leveraging advanced technology and deep clinical and consumer insight. In addition to Eureka, Montana, the 10-site pilot program will have initial locations inside American Legions and VFW posts in Springfield, Virginia, Los Banos, California, and Linesville, Pennsylvania. Another quote from Phillips Organization, and it says, There are more than 9 million veterans enrolled in the VA healthcare system, with 3 million living in rural or remote areas, and 27% of that population not having internet access at home. Visit VA's Connected Care website to learn more about Atlas or VA's Anywhere to Anywhere. That's a site. Okay. Telehealth Initiative. Anywhere to Anywhere. And I'm going to put those links, of course, in the show notes, and I'm actually just going to open them up right now. Uh, go to connectedcare, all one word, dot VA, dot gov, forward slash partners, forward slash Atlas. And the anywhere to anywhere is va.gov forward slash 
anywhere to anywhere, all one word. All right, and the third one says, VA and the Illicit Association of the National Guard of the United States. Wow, that is a mouthful. Partner to increase access to suicide prevention resources for its members. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently partnered with the Enlisted Association of the National Guard of the United States, otherwise known as EANGUS, to promote the availability of vital VA-developed education resources for suicide prevention, substance abuse, domestic abuse, and mental health education to current and former members of the National Guard. Since August 12th, the partnership has explored opportunities for identifying and contacting veterans who are not enrolled in the VA healthcare system to provide them with information about enrollment. The VA will share these resources with 414,000 EANGUS members in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, as well as U.S. territories of Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Virgin Islands. Additionally, it will discuss potential mental health education initiatives with colleges and universities. Go to VA's Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, which is mentalhealth.va.gov forward slash suicide underscore prevention to learn more. And as always, veterans who are in crisis or having thoughts of suicide and those who know a veteran in crisis can contact the VA's crisis line 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Or you can send a text to 838-255 or chat online at veteranscrisisline.net forward slash chat. All right. And finally, this one says for immediate release, VA announces new process for responding to Privacy Act requests. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs implemented a new process October 1 for responding to Privacy Act requests from claimants received by the Veterans Benefits Administration to access for access to their claim files. VA has amended its process for those requesting their own information while respecting the privacy rights of third parties by redacting third-party personally identifiable information from the claim files. VBA is required by the Privacy Act to allow veterans or their representatives to the opportunity to review or make copies of claim files. Under this new process, VA does not anticipate delays in forwarding copies of claims files to veterans or their designated representatives. So some changes in Privacy Act for third party. For more information about privacy service within the VA, you can go to oprm.va.gov forward slash privacy. And their number is 202-273-5070. And their email is privacyservice, all one word, at va.gov. All right. We have two guests on the show today. Uh, one guest is near and dear to my heart. When I was a combat videographer learning my trade at the Defense Information School, this guest was a boot. But he was about my age and had a lot of life experience. At the time, he was the old man of the Marine Detachment, uh, which meant he had been there for a while at that point. And him and I had many, uh, we'll call them leadership sessions at the Bowling Alley Bar on Fort Meade. He then went on to have his Marine Corps career, which included a Purple Heart in Afghanistan. After his uh, service, after he got out, uh, him and I kind of went radio silent for a bit, which I didn't know at the time. He was working on walking on a Division II lacrosse team. A team that he credits, bringing him back into the civilian world. 
He is now a NCAA lacrosse defensive coordinator for, and if I'm judging by his by his voice, the youngest NCAA lacrosse coach in the nation. They are both guests on today's show. They cross the civilian military divide every day. So without further ado, I give to you Maryville University lacrosse's coaching staff, Marine veteran Chris Burke, and head coach Mitchell Schaefer. Enjoy. So, Chris, Marysville, huh? Last time I remember it was St. Leo. Last time I looked on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, Maryville, uh, Maryville and St. Louis. Um, yeah, I was at St. Leo for a little bit. Um, you know, went to college there, played played some college ball, and then uh, luckily uh, I got out and got out of there, and uh, Mitch offered me a job out here, so... Honestly, this is the interview I probably prepared the least for. <laughs> uh, let's just be honest, um, because I feel like I know a lot of uh, a lot of your story. Not not all of it, but a lot. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I have to be really aware of having like too many personal friends on the podcast or on your podcast. Yeah. And maybe I'm overthinking of it because, you know, I. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, and I know a lot of great stories just from our community alone. Correct. But I feel like you got I feel like you got to space them out, you know? Yeah, no, 100 percent, man. I, I again, man, I appreciate being on. I, I feel like I have a unique story to tell. Um, oh, you, you know, you, and, you do. You do. You know, kind of my experiences in the Marine Corps and out of it. Um, I think a lot of people can learn from and I want to tell that story as much as possible, you know? It's what the sh- it's what the show's all about, man. Yeah. It's what the show's all about. Is uh is recruiting over? Because that's part of your gig, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and uh, Mitch will definitely talk about this a little bit as well. Uh, recruiting is honestly ninety percent of our job. Um, you know, we got to make sure that we're bringing in great student athletes. You know, um, uh, not just athletes on the field, but uh, students in the classroom and g- good guys off the field. You know. I'm just looking at your your roster. You got kids from Calgary, New York, Missouri, Saskatchewan, California. Like you guys go all over the place. Yeah, Mitch, you want to take this one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a big part of recruiting is, um, you know, getting in hotbed areas with building relationships. And you know, I'm a guy that's from Buffalo, New York, so. Um, you know, knowing coaches through my, you know, my playing in high school and uh, going up there consistently and recruiting at tournaments up East, you know, it's easy for me to build those relationships. Coach know me, coaches know me from playing, um, you know, and it's a good conversation that we get to have as we continue this recruiting process. I know coach Burke has done a great job getting out into Calgary, um, you know, but you know, it goes on like Ontario is, is another one. Um, we both have connections there and then through all out the U S um, you know, we've done a great job at just building relationships, getting to know people, getting to know coaches, spending the extra time. And, uh, I think it's paying off for us. Gotcha. Is this, is this, uh, Maryville? Is that, uh, D one, D two? We're division two. Gotcha. 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 So is recruiting over is recruiting t- continuous, Burke? Uh, it's, it's continuous, man. Um, you know, I, I actually, you know, this morning I, I, was on, you know, on the phone all day, you know, um, we, we continuously every day, we put a lot towards recruiting, especially being a new program. Uh, we got to make sure we're bringing in the right people that are going to, um, you know, kind of push us forward. Um, and the, you know, we reach out to, I probably reach out to about 10 coaches a day, 
um, guys that I've met on the, you know, uh, just different tournaments, um, guys I've, I, I, I've known my entire life. Um, I, I reach out to a, a ton of people, um, and I know Coach Schaefer does as well. Um, the other part of that is when we start talking to kids, um, that conversation is very personal for us as a coaching staff. Um, so we make sure that we stay in contact with every kid that we talk to. Um, it, it's not going to be um, just something that breaks up, and then two weeks later, we're we're, we got to get back on this kid. Um, you know, we we yeah. want to we want to we want to have a good reputation when we're doing these things, um, and, and it's kind of how we do things, anyways. Um, so we're very personal with the the recruiting process in general. The kids we get are kids that we you know uh, that we've been after and we've stayed on top of, and um, guys that want to be at Maryville, um, you know, and then will help us on the field and off. Do you use some of your uh, your your small unit leadership that you use in the Marine Corps to help in your recruiting? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. To be honest with you, uh, it's it's kind of funny, um, you know, sitting across the table from a recruit and they see on my, you know, my military background uh, through through the bio, or they talk to me about it. Um, I'm very open about it. Uh, you know, I tell them how it was. You know how it is. Um, how it's made me become a good assistant coach. Um, you know, I, I, we use it every day uh, in our practices, in our schemes, in our cultures and traditions. Um, a lot of that stuff's embedded in what we do now. Um, and I like to think that uh, Mitch hired me for those reasons. But when we're sitting across the, uh, you know, the, the table from a recruit and his parents, they know that they're sending their kid to a place where he's going to get better, not just on the field, um, and his grades aren't just going to be great, but he's going to get some life lessons and some tools uh, to use moving forward. Very good. You know, we've had our old CEO Danny Chung on, <laughs> but you're the but, but now he's doing great things at Microsoft. Yeah, and that's in the archives. But um, you know, I think you're the first uh, Marine that I you know that I knew personally while I was in. You know that that kind of had that them bowling alley leadership seminars that we used to have it up until two in the morning. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I I learned a lot, man. And and it, the funny thing is with our with our job field, uh, you know, we uh, we're a very small unit. Um, we know everybody in our yeah. in our job field. Um, I I still am so connected with a lot of people that I know. Um, and, uh, we're pretty on top of each other. If I'm being honest, um, every once in a while, I'll get a, an interesting message from somebody back in the day, but, uh, um, you know, we're, we're super tight. Uh, it doesn't yeah. matter what rank you are, uh, when you were in, um, you know, I, I still sometimes, uh, sometimes still hear from, uh, I still reach out to master our milks every once in a while. I actually got to send him something. Uh, but, uh, that's awesome. But you know, like it didn't matter what rank you are when you got out, a lot of people just stayed on top of you and, uh, just checked in on you. It it, honestly being part of the small unit was, was pretty awesome. So absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but those times of the bowling alley, I don't know if I ever did or not, but I, I don't know if I ever asked you why you decided to join in the first place. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) it's, you know, that's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, I trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, so I screwed up every opportunity that was given to me. Uh, my parents were, were <laughs> that's easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, 
it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a good story. Um, because, you know, like you see a lot of people that have a lot of privileges in life. And, um, I was the type of person that didn't care about those things. And, uh, my parents worked very hard for me. My mom, she was in the FBI and she worked crazy hours. And as a kid, I didn't appreciate those things. Um, you know, there was a couple times she was gone and I wouldn't know why, but also didn't care to ask. Um, you know, those sort of things. My dad traveled all over the country, worked for a great uh, company, um, worked a ton of hours uh, and, and made pretty good money um, and ended up trying to start his own his own business. And all these things were to help um, myself and my brother. Um, and, and my grades were terrible. I was a terrible student. I only yeah. cared about PE um, and uh, uh, girls. <laughs> so, so uh, because of those, because of those reasons, I was just not there at school. Um, the other part of that uh, is my brother was, and my parents did an amazing job uh, when my brother was on top of things, pushing him forward in life and doing everything they had to do to make sure he was successful. Um, me on the other hand was probably on the border of going to military school. (laughs) So, so I, I graduated late, um, played club lacrosse. I was a big fish in a small pond. Um, I should have been playing elsewhere. Um, and uh, a lot of division three schools would talk to me, hear my GPA and walk away coming. You know, I, I grew up in Virginia beach. Uh, both parents were uh, former Navy um, grandfather, both grandfathers were in the army, uh, it, it, a ton of military in my family. Um, both one of my friends was in the Marine Corps. Um, and then one was in the Navy, uh, two really good friends. And I decided to walk into a recruiter's office one day saw a guy doing pull-ups and dress blues and said, make me, uh, make me do that. And, uh, um, uh, of course at that time we were at war too, uh, being an angry teen, uh, you know, I, I felt like I needed to fight something. Um, so I, to be honest with you, I did it for a lot of selfish reasons. And then when I got in it, it, it developed into something more than that. Combat camera wise, um, uh, my best friend's dad was a combat camera in the Navy. Um, uh, and he, uh, he, he saw what I signed up for and, uh, said, no, you need to do this. And he kind of became my mentor. Um, you know, so, uh, kind of pushed me away from doing things that he knew I had, you know, I had, I had other skills that I could utilize. Um, and he knew that, uh, going yeah. when I, when I came back, um, to be honest with you, I, I signed up and, uh, you know, had my three favorites, did all that good stuff. And combat camera wasn't on there. And he said, you need to go back and you need to make sure that really that this is your top one. And I asked him why he gave me a bunch of, uh, you know, gave me a good explanation. Why next day I went back and said, Hey, could I add, can I add this there? And <laughs> I got lucky. <laughs> so, so outstanding. Um, so of course you came to Fort Meade and you became like the old man of Fort Meade because you you had to wait for a while to to, to finally reach the mythical <laughs> unicorn known as the fleet. Uh, just 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 due to you know I, I think it was just due to timing for on your part you know as far yeah, as no it, that's actually an interesting story too and Mitch is probably going to laugh. Uh, believe it or not, Mitch, I got injured 
while I was there. (laughs) 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 So I I got to Fort Meade and (laughs) yeah, exactly. Uh, Got to Fort Meade and got, got injured, almost, you know, got demotivated and it, it hurt me in the classroom. Like it, it did when I was in high school, you know, um, luckily master our milk stuck with me and he, uh, he gave me a second chance and, uh, you know, I, I, I got reclassed, um, to something outside of Fort Meade and literally three days from leaving, uh, to go to 29 Palms, I got hurt again. And, um, I came back and they couldn't reclass me while I was hurt healed up. Um, and I remember we had a run the first day that, you know, master our milks run. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows those. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. Big bulldog skinny legs, 16 miles yeah. in boots and boots. Um, <laughs> probably doing swimming at some point in time. Uh, you know, he, uh, I ran and I was a road guard the first day and had a, did great. Like had a, just feeling great. I had been exercising the whole time. I found my motivation. I stayed fit and just ran, you know, didn't think about anything else, just ran. And, uh, yeah, within the next two weeks, I was a platoon sergeant and I was reclassed to a videographer and I ended up staying in Fort Meade. Um, for, until I graduated, which ended up being, I think, a little over a year and a half. Yeah, it was a while, and that's where that's where we met. Um, but after Fort Meade, um, and you know, and you know, we kept in touch on social media. But I want to say you went dark for a couple of years. Um, you know, our relationship did at least. Uh, where, where did you go? What'd you do? Yeah, so out of Fort Meade, uh, kind of funny. I, I still I wanted to deploy. You know, I was you know um, I wanted to deploy, so I asked to uh, go down to. Uh, Camp Lejeune, they had an opening. I asked to go uh, to Camp Pendleton. They had some openings, and I got uh, Japan. Uh, so I actually got <laughs> shipped over to Iwakuni, Japan, um, overseas uh, for two years, and uh, was honest. To be honest with you, was part of an amazing shop. Um, had some very motivated individuals. Um, was led very well, um, and. Uh, it was a very small shop. So again, a u- the unit cohesion there was, was pretty tight. I mean, uh, my roommate, yeah. uh, Rothman was, uh, was living with me. So it's literally 24 hours a day with that guy. But, uh, um, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we had a very tight, small unit and we were the only combat camera on the base. So we, we handled a lot of mainland stuff. Yeah. Would you say that, um, Milks was your, was your first mentor? Was there another mentor? Oh, uh, um, who, who was your greatest mentor while you were in? While I was in, oh man, that's a tough one, man. (laughs) Put me on the spot like that. Uh, absolutely. um, Absolutely. I have, uh, man, I have a ton of mentors. Um, I, I felt like at each duty station I had two. um, you know, Master Sergeant Milks, uh, was a very unique mentor because, uh, he showed you how to do things the right way. And every once in a while he would open up that, that just, you know, that gate that was him, you know, and he would kind of Mm -hmm. teach you a life lesson very, very quickly, but it meant so much. Um, I I would say definitely master our milks. Um, there was a, a, a Sergeant Brown, that guy, 
was basically what I wanted to be as a Marine. Um, <laughs> he's a, we, we saw eye to eye on a lot of things. We had the same mindset and we, we would both like to push the limits a little too much at the schoolhouse. <laughs> um, but those two definitely <laughs> were, uh, were, were very big, um, in my, uh, kind of in my growth as a young Marine. Um, very good. Uh, you know, and, uh, when I went to Japan, I was directly under Sergeant Gomez, um, Corporal Ogin, uh, yeah, Gomez. Sergeant Gomez, um, uh, Staff Sergeant Kropanicki was a huge mentor, uh, a, a Master Sergeant Milks type type mentor. You know, wasn't a guy that was going to say a lot, but with his actions spoke volumes. Um, those guys had had huge impact on my life, and I use a lot of what they taught me now. Um, That's awesome. You know, it, it's. It, what they've taught me as a, as a young Marine, as I was growing, they were kind of, they wouldn't say, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, Hey, I'm your mentor. You just kind of took things from them. Um, yeah. and, and it, it was just, I, I got lucky, man. I, I had a lot of really good leadership. Outstanding. Um, now Chris, you and I have never ever talked about your purple heart. And I, I think it's, uh, it's something I think veterans, you know, it's kind of like an uneasy approach to about talking something about something like that. Um, I, for me personally, it is because uh, I think because uh, I think it's a, it's a metal nobody really wants. But for our listeners, what were the circumstances around your Purple Heart? Um, you know, I when I got uh, when I left Japan, I ended up uh, going to First Marine Division um, at Camp Margarita and uh, Camp Pendleton. Um and almost immediately, I got I got sent to Afghanistan. This was at the uh, the end of my career. Um, to be honest with you, I was kind of sure that I was going to get out. You know, I was like in one of those sixty five percent. Okay, you know, this is kind of going to be the end of my career. Um, you know, so going into uh, why, why? What was the reason behind it? What were, what were, you, what were your thoughts behind that? Um, one was injuries. My body just started falling apart at a rapid rate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I feel, I feel that. Uh, the, the other part, to be honest with you, I didn't like, um, where the Marine Corps was going. If I'm being honest, um, I saw my role of what I did diminishing, um, in the fact that I wouldn't get to do the things that I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be in the front. I wanted to do those things. And anytime I asked to do those things, um, it got shot down. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of things that just did not happen for me that I wanted to happen at the time that I wanted them to happen. So you, so you were pretty much on the 65% fence yeah. on your way to Afghanistan. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Um, which is not, <laughs> which is not a good, uh, I don't recommend that for anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but when I, you know, I actually got to Afghanistan, I was attached to three, four, um, out of 29 palms. Um, the, it, it was actually kind of an interesting situation The the unit I had worked up with, uh, you know, the guys that I had learned, uh, learned everything about, um, in the workup, um, they didn't end up shipping out. So I got, I had to get reattached mm. to somebody else. Um, and we, uh, we were a small unit. Uh, Jeremy Harris was part of that unit. He was our team leader. Um, I was a Lance Corporal at the time. Um, and then Lance Corporal D'Ambrosi uh, was also with us. Um, so three-man small unit. Uh, the area of operations was very small. 
Um, you know, and basically let's just document what, what we're doing over there. Very, very easy mission, nothing crazy. We, uh, we just needed to take pictures, get our video and make sure that we send it to the right spots. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I got sent out, uh, Jeremy, uh, Corporal Harris at the time, um, our team leader sent me out, uh, with Lima, uh, and I went ahead and documented everything they did from a very small patrol base. Um, and so, you know, was going out on patrols every day, uh, doing all that good stuff and just making sure that those guys got their story told. One day I go out with a uh, second platoon and, uh, the first time I've, you know, you know, you know, being combat camera, you kind of get attached. You got to relearn everybody. Um, you got to establish them in connection. You got to establish those connections. A hundred percent. You know, so you try everything in your power to do that, you know. So um, I had not gone out with second platoon before and uh, I go out with them once and it was a very terrible day. Um, you know, we had a, a, a bunch of casualties, um, one KIA, uh, Corporal Goyette, and these are guys that I had just met, you know, so it's like, it was a weird situation for me, um, you know, uh, but we went out on patrol. We encountered two IEDs and an ambush, um, both by foot. Obviously, uh, we, we set one off. Uh, we flew out the injured um, and then we set another one off in a compound. Um, I was taking a picture of the first, got knocked back. Um, and then the second one was a squad I was attached to. Um, so got knocked unconscious into a wall and that one woke up and then obviously did everything that I was, that I could do to help them out. Um, yeah. you know, those are the guys that have all that training. Um, a lot of people forget, uh, you know, some of, you know, being in Japan for two years and mainland, you're, <laughs> you're doing memorial ceremonies and taking pictures of planes taking off every day. Um, you lose those reps, you know, um, you, you almost have to retrain your mind when you go out and do the, you know, it changes for you. You have to adapt and overcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. so a lot of that training came back in those situations, but it was a little bit slower than usual. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, sure. um, so yeah, so I, I, I ended up getting uh, purple heart for CTE, uh, mild, um, you know, there was a lot of other guys that got a lot worse than me um, that day. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I walked away with memory loss and a headache. Um, there's some guys that walked out of that, like uh, Larry Bailey, um, who is a triple amputee. Um, you know, um, Mark Goyette, uh, you know, has passed away. You know, so there was a lot of guys there. Um that deserve a ton of praise for what they did. Um, you know, I I think those stories need to be told. I feel like a lot of people hold those things in and it's a problem. Um, you hold those things in, they're going to eat away at you. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people out there that don't know what that's like, and they're never going to know that if you don't tell that story. Did you, did you hold that in early on when you first got back? I a hundred percent did. Um, I held that in for a little bit. And to be honest with you, it, it was a weird situation. Again, I didn't, I knew these guys for a day, um, yeah. you know, and now I will remember everything about that day. Um, everything they did, I'll remember their names forever. And I will always be there for those guys. 
it was a it was a it's a strange situation being a combat camera guy and seeing it from the outside and then directly being a part of it um you know that it's a very unique situation now did you have a hard time adjusting when you first got back was that what you were still in or when you when you when you got out because i know you were on your transition now right right when you got back right yeah yeah and uh, you know i'll be honest with you it messed me up um it, it messed me up pretty good uh for a while you know i had a lot of mental lapses uh after that um and it, it you know you start questioning a lot of things and to be honest with you that night after all the helicopters had flown in and everybody's going out i'm sitting up on a post and that was the moment that i knew that i needed to uh that i needed to move on with my life i need to do something else my purpose had been served i have done everything that the marine corps had asked um you know yeah um that was that was literally the moment was when I was standing on post that night and uh, you start thinking about, you know, what you're going to do if this situation happens, if this situation happens. And a lot of it ended up with <laughs> me dying. Um, you know, so I, I, I ended up uh, coming to the conclusion that I need to move on. Um, and literally that next day, I, I had sent an email out to every school in Florida. <laughs> really like from afghanistan yeah i mean after obviously after <laughs> oh, after, wow. the bla- after the you know the time where the bla- where it blacks out um you know the uh the you know they they let you get back on the internet and all that stuff i sent emails out to every lacrosse school um in florida um there was a couple that got back to me immediately um the so you knew you wanted to do you you wanted to get back in lacrosse from Afghanistan. Yeah, to, and to be it's kind of funny. So to to be to be honest with you, I had made a goal out of engineer stakes, and I had my now ex wife send me uh, <laughs> send me lacrosse gear out there, and every day I would take shots. Every day I would take shots. So oh, wow, and it was it, dude. So they she sent me all these little the the lacrosse balls that are pink. So I had these bright pink lacrosse balls in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and I would hit I would hit one of those engineer engineering stakes and it would fly over the wall and I'd be on a patrol in three days and there's this Af, Afghan Afghan uh, national child bouncing bouncing a pink lacrosse ball down the street. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So I'm sitting there, I'm like I would that's tell the awesome. kid, hey, that's mine, and he would take it and run off. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, talk to me about your transition. How did you got? You know, how did you get out? I know you made your way to St. Louis. That's when I kind of picked up your story again. And how did you make your way to to Marysville, to where you are now? So yeah, so I um, so basically, and 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 and, and before you start, Mitchell, I apologize, man. I know this is taking a little bit, but I got to make sure this entire story gets out. No, you are just fine. You are just fine. No, I'm learning something more that Burke hasn't told me yet. So this is good. <laughs> Mitch, that doesn't look good. I just said that you should be open about these things. <laughs> um, it's, it's all right, buddy. <laughs> you, for, you forget things. I do. I forget a lot of things. My brother played at St. Leo University, Ryan Burke. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, both are both our parents graduated online from St. Leo University. Um, so we had a lot of, lot of oh, wow. blood in the game. <laughs> but uh, I was hoping to get an email back from uh, Coach Bradley Jorgensen. And uh, 
sure enough, that was the one that got, got back to me the soonest. Um, he got back to me. He said, Hey, I, you know, the, the, the emails, the emails kind of, uh, you know, Hey, I, you know, I can't promise you a spot on this team, but if you would like to come for a visit and check out the school, whenever you get back, you let me know. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about the opportunities that St. Leo could provide you. And, um, I, uh, oh, wow. I took him up on that offer. So I, uh, uh, when I got back, I pretty much got out. Um, I, uh, ended up spending some time in Indiana with my ex, uh, and, uh, getting, uh, so I, I also blew out my knee in Afghanistan as well. So I ended up tearing my ACL and stuff. Stay, stayed. Jesus. Dude, dude, it was <laughs> like Mr. Glass. Um, that that that's kind of key to this. The rest of the story. Yeah, um, it's kind of key to getting on the on the lacrosse. Hey, coach, I'm I'm here. Kind of. You know? <laughs> I, I did. Uh, you know, I did the Marine thing, and I said, no, I can play on it. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> um, I get back from Afghanistan. I dislocate my knee. Um, pretty much. I get out directly when I get back. Um, there was maybe a month and month and a half time frame where I stayed at Camp Pendleton for a little bit, and then wow. you know my IEAS, I was done. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I went ahead, went to Indiana, and uh, spent some time there. Worked with the VA uh, there to try and figure out when I could get my surgery. Um, you know, filing all the paperwork. So when I got when I got to Indiana, I then visited uh, St. Leo in Florida. Hmm. Once I visited them, that's the place I wanted to be. My brother was there. I hadn't seen my brother in probably six years, man. Um, wow. It, 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 I miss his entire high school career. Like I would read about it in the paper, you know? So like, wow. I felt like there was time I needed to make up. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime I was home, he wasn't, you know, he was at yeah. college. So, um, I get there, uh, visit and, you know, Jorgensen says, okay, we're going to give you an opportunity again, can't guarantee you a spot, but let's see what you got. Let's see if you can do something. Yeah. Um, go back from the visit, finally get my medical documents, um, and find out that my ACL is actually torn. So this is, so you're, you're, you're doing all of this on a torn ACL. Correct. Correct. I did the, I, I pretty much did the whole deployment on a torn ACL as well. Um, people ask me how I just say, don't move laterally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I ended up tearing it at the beginning of the tour, uh, when I dislocated my knee, just trying to climb out of a trench and, uh, just, just stayed on. I mean, I'm not going to, not going to call medevac for my knee hurting. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I, I ended up getting, uh, the medical evaluation back when I got to Indiana Sure enough, ACL is blown, meniscus is gone. Um, so I wait for the VA and, and I kind of go, okay, well, I need to get this situated so I can either get the surgery in Indiana or when I get to Florida. And I would like to get it done in Indiana so I can play, right? Yeah. Um, well, they, uh, there was some miscommunication. It drags on before I can, uh, drags on after I get to St. Leo. Um, so then I get down to Tampa, uh, go to the VA hospital there and they don't have any of my files. 
they have no files oh, on my on my entire process of my ACL. I was supposed to get down there, get the surgery, heal up, and play. And yeah. uh, so then I have to redo the, the workup. I end up losing a year of eligibility and missing the one year that I could have played with my brother, Ryan. Oh, geez. So, it, you know, the reason I came down there at this point was to play with Ryan. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I missed that opportunity. Um, I end up at St. Leo going to school and actually um, going on. Jorgensen decides that he wants to take me in and mentor me um, and te- reteach me the game. At this time, I hadn't played lacrosse in 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, so to be to say I was bad my freshman year is an understatement. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was not good. Um, I was, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> it was ugly. It was ugly. Let's just say it was ugly. It was ugly. Uh, Jordan, yeah. if you ever asked Jorgensen, he would probably tell you the same thing. Um, uh, so I, you know, so I walk in uh, at the end of the year and uh, Jorgensen asked if I would like to still coach. Um, and I told him, no, I came here to play. That's why I came here. I came here to play with college lacrosse. Um, to me, that was an opportunity that I had given up by being lazy, by not being driven, by not being focused. I had given up so much just to get to that point. Uh, you know, I wanted to play ball. Yeah. That was it. Um, you know, it, it absolutely was terrible. I didn't get to play with my brother, but, uh, you know, I, I was determined to play college lacrosse. Yeah. Real quick, your freshman year of lacrosse reminds me of my senior year of high school in wrestling. I I knew nothing about wrestling. I didn't even know how you scored points. I just I, You got to try to pin the guy. Did my senior year. was terrible. Terrible. Got a, But I still got three wins. I remember uh, the Elma Eagles were uh, like the state champs every year. And we beat them that, during that match. Um, and it was my first pin ever was I was on the JV squad as a senior <laughs> and uh, I pinned the guy I wasn't supposed to pin right before, right before the varsity match. And we, and it was like, there was a, there was a full crowd, you know, at that point it was a full crowd. Uh, everyone cheered and we, it seemed like the varsity team was pumped up. The coach gave a big old speech about it and we steamrolled that team like match after match after match. We pinned every single one of them, almost every single one of them. But just getting real back to that, that is, but the rest of the year was terrible. Rest of the year, I was just getting, I was just rolled up like a, like a, like a tits roll. But it, it reminded me, you're, you're, you're talking about lacrosse in your first year, reminded me of my senior year of wrestling. Anyways, moving on. I was terrible. <laughs> I get it, man. Trust me. I've been there. I've been there. And now I'm doing it. Your coach must have seen something in you. To want to, to want to mentor you, to want to train you. Yeah. And that's kind of, he saw hard or something. You know, I owe, I owe him everything. I do. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at in the position I'm at if he didn't give me a shot. Um, wow. And it's kind of funny. It's, I actually use that to recruit now. Just give us a shot. Give us a shot. We're going to do something incredible. Um, Very good. You know, uh, it, 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 he gave me an opportunity that is not provided by many. And he was willing to take a chance on an unproven athlete. 
the other part of that is he fought to get me into the school. Um, when I say my GPA was atrocious earlier on, um, I mean, like I couldn't even get into a D D two university, um, without help from the coaching staff. Um, you know, he, I don't know how that process went. Um, maybe one of these days I'll ask him, but I guarantee I did not make it easy for him. (laughs) Um, uh, and that was just due to that was just due to some 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 decisions early on before you joined the Marine Corps. So correct, correct, That's fine. So so you put so you played three years at at, at Saint Leo. You eventually yeah. did we you eventually started didn't you? Uh, didn't really start. I was more of a man, captain, man down specialist. I was a captain by uh, by my senior year. Um, didn't really start. And to be honest with you, I was the guy that coach would throw in with two minutes left, and were you know pummeling somebody um because i work hard uh very well you know you're I, rudy you you were st louis rudy correct and that's all right i'll take it it's all good it's all good <laughs> it got me on the field hey maybe I'll make it maybe uh, maybe we'll make a movie about it someday um <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I, I don't know if i'd go see that <laughs> i'd sit in the front row so, oh man now now mitchell i'm i'm so, uh, i'm sorry i feel like we've been ignoring you for like 40 minutes no but, you're um, good you're, i'm a good listener i think this is a good time to bring you in um how did you get to know Chris? Uh, how did you bring him over to Marysville? So it's actually a funny story. So um, after my first year of being an assistant, uh, I took over as an interim head coach. Um, probably the youngest coach in Division Two, maybe ever. Or we're I was going to I was going to say I was going to say Mitchell. You're young. Yes, I, I, saw, I saw your picture. Yeah, and it looks like some of your players look older than you. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to disregard that statement. That's 100% true. Um I'm close in age with with some of the older guys. That's for sure. Um but I, I took over as the interim role um at the age of 23. And uh oh, wow. from there, um I went through the interview process and uh you know, came away and and I like to say it fell into my lap, but you know, I ended up getting the job and took over as the head coach officially. And that summer going into a big recruiting year for us. I actually met, I was up in Syracuse, New York, uh, Rochester, Syracuse, one of the two, but we're up mm. in New York and, uh, I meet Chris's brother, Ryan, and we're sitting there talking and I'm like, yeah, I got to find an assistant. Um, well, our old AD at the time, you know, wanted to bring some age into the staff, you know, definitely understandable being a young guy. So I'm like, all right, well, I don't know how many assistants that are going to be out there that are want to co- going to come in and, uh, you know, be with the, the young head coach. I had a few buddies that really wanted the job. Um, but, you know, we went with the age thing. And at the end of the day, two 23-year-olds on staff isn't isn't an own thing. So, you know, get M- to- Mitchell, Mitchell, you're no different than a boot lieutenant. That's so saying. funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, got past uh, trying to bring my buddy in. And I meet Ryan uh, Burke out there. And we're chit-chatting and um, – you know, he's like, Hey, my brother's looking to get into coaching. I was like, Oh yeah. And I'm, he's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, well, I'm an offensive, I'm the offensive guy. I'm looking for a, a D coordinator to come in. And uh, he's like, perfect. Well, my brother's a D coordinator. Um, and he wants a job. He, he just graduated from St. Leo, you know, was in, in the Marines. And, um, I'm like, awesome. So I ended up getting Chris's number. Uh, I ended up getting back to, I think I drove back to Cleveland that day. I gave, I gave Chris a call and, um, 
and just we had a conversation. Uh, I think I meant it to be, you know, a good 30 minute conversation. I think it lasted about two hours. Uh, you know, got to know Chris really, really well, you know, got to see kind of where he was at, you know, what jo- other, other jobs he was looking at. Um, I think by the end of the two hours, probably by the end of 30 minutes, um, I think Chris had his mindset on Maryville. Uh, I think the image and, and, you know, where I wanted to take the program, um, you know, fell in his lap as well. And, you know, we kind of, you know, saw the same thing. At this time, uh, Chris, were you coaching at St. Leo? Did you just finish your career at St. Leo? What, what, what was, where were you at at that point? Yeah. So, um, you know, I got three good years at St. Leo. Um, I pushed off to graduate in five. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I ended up, uh, graduating that year. Um, this was my senior year. I was a captain. Um, and, uh, I, it's kind of funny. I didn't know if I wanted to be a college coach, um, as I was at St. Leo. Um, and then when I got out, you know, I, I actually coached a local club team. Yeah. I had just graduated. So you established the relationship with him? Yeah. Yeah. Established that relationship. Um, you know, from there on out, you know, we moved forward in the process, um, you know, took care of everything on the HR side. And, um, you know, Chris and I, you not only, uh, we're coaching on the same staff, but we lived together that first year. Um, so once we established that relationship though, uh, you know, we, we both saw eye to eye, uh, bigger spec thing, uh, for the both of us, I think, you know, for him, you know, I had more of a playing background. I came from more of a hotbed area, so to speak. Uh, I played since I was like five. Um, you know, I went yeah. and, and played in college for four years at another division two school um, that was very successful. And so I think, you know, Chris had the respect there, um, which was great. And then, you know, I had the respect of Chris's background and, and going to do it, you know, doing what he did. And, um, you know, I think his traits that he brought to our program, um, and he, that he still uses today are some that I thought were going to be great. Um, but we matched right, you know, right away. And here we are. So Mitchell, you're, you're not a veteran, correct? I'm not. Nope. You're not, a, you're not a veteran. Do you, did you have any veterans? Did you know any veterans before Chris? Yeah. I, you know, I, ha- I have some in my family, um, you know, my grandpa and, and things like that and, and my uncle and, um, you know, but I, I, it's something that I'm honestly not, you know, not very familiar with. And it's something that, you know, I should be with having family members, uh, you know, that are veterans, but it's something that, you know, I've learned a lot from Chris when it comes to that and, and what they go through and, and the background and, um, you know, I, I thank Chris every day for kind of giving me the knowledge on that that aspect. But no, I'm not a veteran myself. Just have some in the family. No, but that's awesome. You guys are like it, this is literally crossing the civilian military divide, and I think that's, that's yeah, that's great. absolutely. So you guys as a team, uh, both you as coaches, help your lacrosse team learn more about veterans and veteran cultures. Correct. Yes, and I'll you guys do you, you, you guys do something with the local medical centers. Yep, you do some care packages. What do, what do you guys do? Yeah, and I'll let Coach Burke take this one. He he's got he does a good job with this. You know, as a coaching staff, um, to be honest with you, when I was when I was a player at St. Leo, um, I realized how much a locker room uh, was like my unit. Um, there was a, there was leadership. Hmm. There was different characters. There was. Um, Everybody's striving for the same goal. Um, there was a physical and mental exertion. Um, it, it was just so similar. Um, so it was something that, uh, you know, as a coaching staff, we we wanted to bring to our guys' attention was kind of 
guys, there's people out here that need our help. Um, you know, uh, yeah. we also, you know, being a brand new program, we wanted to start a ton of cultures and traditions. There is almost no better cultures and traditions than the, than the United States Marine Corps. Absolutely. Raw. Uh, um, it wasn't just the fact that you were fighting for the guy to your right and your left, but it was also the guy behind you, um, you know, a hundred years before you yeah. and the guy that's going to be fighting a hundred years after you. Absolutely. That image meant so much to me as a Marine, um, that you were fighting for everybody, everybody, it, it, the cultures and traditions of the Marine Corps made you want to keep going. When we sat down and we talked about what do we need to go ahead and start doing, um, that was our biggest thing. Um, one of those things is, you know, let's make that connection with uh, veterans. Uh, let's make that connection with military. Um, and let's go ahead and help guys out that might get overlooked. Uh, so we do a ton of stuff um, from uh, fundraising and charity work to uh, going to the, to the VA to help out at the medical centers. Gotcha. So what do you guys do actually do at the medical centers? Um, well, last year was our first year doing it. Um, it. It was very impactful, especially, you know, you, you spoke about us having international students. Yep. And I remember you, I remember you guys posting about this a lot on social media last year. Yeah, no, um, uh, we are the mighty actually picked it up and that was awesome. They did an article on it. It was great. Um, you know, our guys, uh, they work very hard. Um, but every once in a while you gotta, you gotta show them why, um, you gotta give them a little bit of purpose. And, uh, our guys, they, uh, they went to, a a, a, a VA medical center, uh, in downtown St. Louis and we handed out blankets. They talked to the, talked to veterans. And to be honest with you, there was a couple of times I had to leave the room. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, yeah. the, the guys got a ton out of it. Um, and that was the biggest thing is that we wanted them to kind of realize the opportunity that they have. What about your, uh, your international students? How'd they, how'd they take it? Well, you know, the Canadian, <laughs> we have a lot of Canadians on the team and it's kind of yeah. funny. They walk up to coach Schaefer and I, and they're like, this is insane. Um, they don't have anything like that. Uh, really not, not as big of a scale as we do in America. Um, so when they walked in there and, you know, they're talking to a Marine from Vietnam and, uh, the guy, uh, you know, can't come up with a really coherent and clear thought. Um, and he's sitting there on possibly his deathbed, uh, and they're actually having this conversation with this guy. I think it touched them and I think it made them better. The, the guys just bought into that immediately, just like my guys bought into having me in the locker room uh, when I was at St. Leo. Um, you know, they uh, gotcha. they immediately made the tie. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing is um, having them kind of realize that they have a unique opportunity to play lacrosse every day um, it, it is a huge yeah. part of what we do at Maryville. Uh, so you know, division two lacrosse is awesome. And at the end of the day, there's not many guys that are going to come off that field and still play lacrosse. So what are they going to get out of their four years at Maryville? Um, we want to make that impact 
as loud as possible. That's awesome. So, Coach? Chris? Oh, go ahead. Coach, you got anything? No, I mean, Chris said it pretty clear. I think, um, you know, one thing that stuck out to me is when our guys went into a room and Coach Burke, I don't know if you were next to me or not, you know, one guy mentioned to our guys, um, you know, life is, a you know, full of decisions, a bunch of decisions, whether they're big or small, um, you know, and any decision that, that you make can have a bigger, small impact on your life at any age, at any time. Um, and I think that's stuck to our guys a lot. And, um, you know, being a young program, you know, we had a lot of maturing to do last year and we still have to do this year. Um, but hearing that come from a veteran like that, I think really stuck with the guys. Um, and I think the little things like that, um, really put a big print on our guys, our culture, um, the way we want to do things. And, you know, we're constantly learning. So, um, I think it was a great, great thing. And I can't wait to get back there and, um, you know, show the freshmen this year and get the, uh, the older guys back. What VA medical facility did you guys get to? This one was in downtown St. Louis. I I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it's the St. Louis VA medical facility. Correct. Got you. Got you. Um, Mitchell, as someone that, and I love your first name because it's my middle name, but um, <laughs> uh, Mitch, 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 what was it like as someone that wasn't a veteran to go into that VA medical facility with your with your guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it it uh, it kind of touches your heart. To be honest with you, you know it 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 puts a lot in perspective that you know you show up every day, and you know for us we have a lot of stuff in the morning. You know, our guys are our guys will complain about getting up for a six o'clock lift. Well, guess what? There's a lot worse going on out there. You could be in a worse position right now. You could be doing something way worse than just having to roll out of bed and go down to the field and run. Um, it puts life in perspective, and uh, and I think it translates a ton. And uh, and and that's why I can't wait. And that's why you know, coach and I are so high on getting back there, not just once, but twice this year, because it really does show you if you aren't a veteran, um, and you're not going to go down that route of, of entering, um, and serving the country that, you know, you could have it way worse. And, and I, and I think that touched our guys. I know it touched me, uh, even seeing it, I could see it in coach Burke's eyes, um, when he was in some of those rooms and you can kind of feel it kind of gives you the shivers a little bit, we're lucky to be waking up and playing lacrosse every day. We're lucky to have that locker room coach Burke, you know, talked about. Um, so it puts a lot in perspective. Absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, and I think the veterans and I, I'm not speaking for the veterans there at the medical facility, but I, I think it's important for a, for me as a veteran to know that people still care. And so for you guys to walk in there like that, I think it's a great thing. Um, Absolutely. You know, now, are you guys doing something else here in the next couple months where it's like care packages or is, is the VA medical facility like your main thing? So, Coach, I'll touch on this real quick and you can talk if I forget anything. Um, but some I, I love, Coach, what Coach Burke did was when he first got here, we were figuring out a way, you know, to fundraise but give back, right? Uh, we talk about our image being a big thing and what can we do? And what better than to to be able to do something that helps send – care packages overseas. So, uh, every October we raise money and every, every, uh, hundred dollars 
we sent a care package overseas and you know through the past two years we've we've sent over 100 care packages um and you know you don't really see that in perspective and see what that does until you get emails and letters back and um i know i'll let coach burke talk about this because it could mean a little bit more to him but you know, we had, we had a wife talk about her husband and saying, this is the nicest thing that my husband's ever got. And it means so much to him. And, you know, what's in the care package coach socks, some candy, some protein, some beef jerky and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we, you know, being over there, I remember what I missed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I think the biggest part of this is that the guys do all of it. Um, you know, we, when we kind of came up with this idea, we wanted to have purpose in everything we did. Um, and so we came up with this idea to go ahead and do the care packages. Um, we don't use anybody else's program. We do it ourselves. We pack, we buy the stuff, we push out the information. Um, we, we do it all. We ship it. How do, how do you find what units that you're going to, you're going to send to I actually like, what, what reach out to the local USO, uh, local USO here in St. Louis. And they ended up giving us, um, an address, uh, with a name and that's it. No rank, no branch, none of that. Um, wow. so we don't know, we didn't even know where the, where this deployment was. Um, but the USO did an wow. amazing job of making sure that they would also receive the packages, you know, um, I, I think the, the biggest thing that upset me was when my friend sent me a, a care package and it never got to me. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. Know, right. I had already shipped back, uh, back across and, and came back stateside. Um, so, uh, we wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. So, uh, the USO gave us an address, made sure that they would, that unit would be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, the guys do everything. And I, I think that's the biggest part is, you know, as a coaching staff, we want to make sure that the guys do most of most of all the hard work um, and they're going to. Gotcha. So you're not you're not you're not partnering with anybody. You're not partnering with anybody. You just want to make sure that it's your guys Correct. doing the work. We we didn't want to partner with anybody because we wanted to make sure um, that the funding went to the proper places and it went to the causes that we were strong about, um, you know, so. Uh, there was no leftover change. That's what we wanted to make sure, you know? Um, so yeah. we do all of it. We ship it. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I reached out to the postal service and, uh, you know, I, I went to the, you know, uh, the post office and, um, they'll ship a box to an FPO AP for $17 flat rate. Not a lot of people know that, oh, wow. you know, so there's a lot of companies out there that would charge you $100 to send a care package when you don't have to do that, if that makes sense. It's, seven, yeah, it's 17 bucks. bucks. Yeah. So when we found that out, we tried to figure out a way that we would raise funds and fill that box with as much stuff as possible. Um, and every year we've gotten better at it. Um, it goes there. It's a lot of snacks that you, that I never got to see in Afghanistan. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of things that you, you yeah. miss <laughs> all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're missing Skittles, but you have, uh, a, a surplus of M and M's because they're in the MREs, you know? Um, 
we wanted to make sure that when we sent stuff, it was stuff that people would use. Absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's nice having you as, a, as that experience to draw from that. That's awesome. Like we put baby wipes in there. We put uh, socks, obviously. I know some guy in the unit is probably going to go through every box and grab all the socks, but doesn't matter. There's always one. <laughs> um, there's always one and nobody knows who it is until he's wearing the socks. <laughs> um, so we, we, we put a lot of stuff in there that the guys can get. Now, something that we are working on is um, reaching out to local businesses that want to help put more objects in that box. Um, and, and I think that's very important. Uh, you know, um, Supplement Superstore last year gave us a couple protein packets, things like that, that we could send overseas. So, you know, there's not a lot to do on a deployment other than patrol and work out and eat and sleep. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we, uh, we went ahead and, uh, sent some stuff like that over too. That's really cool. Why? It sounds like you're getting the community involved too. Uh, why is it important for you guys as a culture to cross that military civilian divide? Um, I'll, I'll take this one and then, uh, coach Schaefer can definitely jump, jump in. Cause I know he has a lot to say on it. Um, for me, St. Leo, help me transition back to civilian life. I often tell the guys in that locker room mm. that they meant more to me than I'll ever mean to them. Um, you know, I, to be honest with you, when I was in that locker room, I was going through a divorce, which is odd in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make for some awkward, uh, <laughs> makes for some, some awkward locker room talk. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was 31 as a senior. I was the oldest player in D2. Um, so I went, I was going through a lot mentally. Um, and, and on top of that, I was fresh off of that deployment. Yeah. To say I was weird is an understatement. And not to mention, I wasn't even a good lacrosse player. <laughs> um, I hadn't put all those things together to my senior year. Um, so like, uh, coming back into a locker room where there's a 17 year old Canadian kid, um, you know, and they kind of draw you out of that box that veterans often put themselves in, hmm. um, you relearn some things. Um, you, you forget, you forget a lot of things, but you, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from those guys um, and they're not blind to those facts either. You know, they know why you're in that locker room. Um, there wasn't gotcha. anybody like, hey, this this I don't have anything to learn from this old guy that can't catch and throw. <laughs> <laughs> um, they know why you're there. I, I made it pretty obvious why I was there. <laughs> yeah, um, gotcha. It wasn't for playing. Um, so, you know, that locker room did so much for me as a, as a person. Um, I went through so much, but I was also trying to transition to civilian life. And a lot of veterans do not get that opportunity. Um, hmm. it, it's odd to me that more veterans don't flock to opportunities like that. It, you know, you're, you're now in a position where you could use a lot of intangible skills that other people do not have. 
Yeah, or on the flip side, like a lot of teams don't look for that type of leadership sometimes too. Correct, or or they just don't think about that type to bring in that yeah. type of person. Yeah, to be to, to be completely fair, absolutely. Yeah, it, it goes both ways, um, and that's kind of why you know Coach Schaefer and I we see the world two different ways, and, and we're just putting it together. I want veterans to take those opportunities, learn from my learn from my my story, and use that experience and make yourself better try and 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 get out outside that box because there's to be honest with you in the marine corps there were some awful athletes <laughs> like guys guys that could <laughs> run a three mile in 16 16 minutes but couldn't yeah. catch a football to save their life made no sense to me yeah <laughs> made no sense to me you know couldn't dribble a basketball unless they were using two hands like <laughs> You know, Um, but guess what? You can, (laughs) there are so many universities out here that have track, you know, there's a ton of teams. Maybe you're good at golf. Um, Try out, go do those things. You don't have to get just an online degree, go to a campus, you know, have an open mind. Um, And I feel like that is a huge thing with the, just with the veteran population in general, is we are very close-minded people. I was so close-minded sure. when I went into that locker room. And when I got out, my mind was open. I, I had a ton of skills that developed in that locker room, but I had before I walked in. And now here I am using them to try and give people the opportunity that I had blown. I know we, you know, we talk about how we kind of see it from a different perspective. Um, you know, for me, I see an opportunity, uh, not just for Coach Burke. I see, it, but it's a great opportunity for our guys, and, it, and it's similar kind of, you know, going to the VA. But Coach Burke's got stories. People know Coach Burke's, you know, been through some stuff, and our guys can learn from that. And um, you know, the opportunity for Coach Burke. You know, I know he loves what he's doing every single day, and it's not just the lacrosse standpoint. Um, you know, some of Coach Burke's favorite guys on the team aren't going to be four-year starters for us. Yeah. But they're good people. They're good guys to have in the locker room. They're the 4-0 students or the 3-9 students, guys that are going to, you know, go on to walk that stage and do something special. And and I think, Coach, that's the opportunity that Coach loves um, about doing what he's doing. Hilarious. That's awesome. Chris, what's one skill that you learned in the Marine Corps that you still apply today? I think it's leadership, man. Um, the Marine Corps prides itself in everybody having the basic skill set of being a successful leader because you never know when you're going to be the next guy up. Um, I think getting out of the Marine Corps, you don't really look at that skill set as being as important as it actually is. The Marine Corps does a great job of, of teaching people leadership skills that are normally not in those positions a lot of marines come from interesting backgrounds um you know uh, i knew marines that were homeless you know i i knew marines that were from different countries barely spoke english yeah um you know uh i also met marines that were the high school football star you know um or at least they said they were they teach you that base foundation of leadership And that is something that you can teach the world 
because it it works so well in civilian life. And a lot of people think they get out of the Marine Corps and their only skill is shooting guns and, and drinking a beer. You know, um, you you get you can you have more than that. There's more to you than that. Um, I think that's a skill set that we we just have as Marines. So I know you, I know you guys don't partner with anybody uh, for your care package, but what is one nonprofit or veteran in the veteran space that you think is a great example to our community, to the work that they're doing? Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say, uh, first off, student veterans organization is awesome. The SVA is great. Um, I was the president of the one at St. Leo. Uh, I think they do a good job of not trying to separate segregate the veteran population from the student population. Um, if you are at a university, get into that program, try it, try and push it closer and closer to the student body. It's going to help you out so much, uh, mentally and socially. Like it just, it, it, I was, it was awesome being the president part, uh, of the one at, uh, St. Leo. Have you seen the? Uh, have you seen all the episodes that that Tim did on the SVA? I did not in our archive. I did not. Yeah, check it out. I think he did like Jared Lyon, uh, the the veter- the student veterans of the year pan- panel. He he did a lot with that organization while he was while he was the host of the of Born the Battle. Get out there, be part of frats. If you're at a university, go be part of a team. Go, you know, um, be part of fraternities, you know, or sororities. Um, be part of uh, of sports teams, athletic programs. Be part of student organizations. Be part of student organizations like the SVA, where you have uh, influence on how we can go ahead and and uh, uh, meet that civilian population head on. Um, the other one uh, would be Semper Fi Fund. It was something that helped me out when I was in. Um, that would be one that I would donate to. Very good. Very good. Very good. Um, gentlemen, is there anything else that I haven't asked that you think it's important to share? Like if you got any, any last words of wisdom? One thing we didn't talk about and I'll keep it short and sweet is we have one game a year where we wear, uh, well, it's our Saints for soldiers game and we get custom jerseys. Like two years ago it was camo Jersey. Um, last year was more of a, um, American flag look in a sense. Um, you know, repping the red, white, and blue, but we have one game that we kind of like to put together with our Saints for Soldiers campaign. So, um, but our guys learn a lot from coach and, um, you know, hearing the stories coach Burke has mentioned about the locker room and, and, and what it's done for him at St. Leo. Um, I think what we're doing here at Maryville is an awesome opportunity for everybody. The biggest thing that I would take away from this is if you're a veteran out there and there is, um, you know, you're trying to figure out your spot um, in the world when you get out. Keep an open mind. Try some things. Um, go to a university. Visit the school. Do your homework on the university. Keep it. It's it, the transition from military to civilian life is not easy. It's not easy. Even with that locker room, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But there is support out there. There are people that want to help you. And there are a ton of people that can learn from you. Go do what you can to influence those people. Help them learn about the experiences that you've gone through. Be open about those experiences. Uh, 
you have a ton to offer the world and don't ever think that you can't. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go, go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people, because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. I want to thank both gentlemen for their time. Chris has such an inspirational story. If you have any questions for Chris, you can reach him at cburke, B-U-R-K-E, two, the number two, and that's all one word. That's cburke2 at Maryville, no S, Maryville.edu. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army Veteran Robert H. Douglas. And this was provided to me by a former colleague, Air Force Master Sergeant Dylan Bolander. My grandfather, Robert Douglas, passed away 31 years ago. I've always said that his death and the day I saw them bury him was the day that I became a man, as his death took my childhood. He did a 20-year career in the Army and fought in World War II, Korea, and the beginning of Nam. He was awarded the Bronze Star for pulling the rear flank taking out the Germans, and securing his soldiers to a safer position so they can then take up the fight and take them out. After he retired from the Army, he married my grandmother after the death of her husband, who also served in the Army in World War II in Korea. So while he was never my blood grandfather, he was still like blood to me. He taught me how to fish, hunt, and most importantly, respect the flag and those who serve. I like to think his coming into my family's life is the reason I serve today, and retire this coming spring. I use his example as the reason why I can handle adversity the way I do. I just remember that when I get tired, he was tired too. But he survived hell in Germany, taken out of the Axis armies of Germany and Italy. And if he can do all of that and go on to fight through life as best, he's could, as best he could when he was diagnosed with liver cancer, then I can survive anything and endure pure hell as well. It's all because he is watching over me and guiding me as his only male grandson. Again, Army veteran Robert H. Douglas. We also honor his service. And thank you, Dylan, for that touching tribute. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, just like Dylan did, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up or a link and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this episode and haven't subscribed yet, please do. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, etc., etc., etc. Pretty much any podcasting app known to cell phone, computer, tablet, or man. And as always, for more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media medium, mediums, medium, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you for again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week 
where we will have, for scheduling purposes, a benefits breakdown one week early. See you next week. stop the main uh, episode there that's a good ender there um so sometimes i have what's called the after the show show and it's a bonus thing if if i if you get through my entire episode there's a little there's a little nugget sometimes uh and and in some of your and some of my shows um i'm gonna do one on this one because i know chris and i'm gonna put him i'm gonna i'm gonna put him up to it um <laughs> chris talks about uh, traditions and setting traditions a lot. Oh no! And you know how much Marine Corps traditions mean to him. And as the old man of the of the Mardet out in Fort Meade, he actually set a couple <laughs> traditions of his own to you know to increase morale. So Chris, go ahead and go ahead and talk about some of these. Uh, uh, I don't know what uh, would you call them? No. idols, uh, mascots. <laughs> what what are, what are some of these things that you guys had in the barracks? Uh, Pass down items is a good one. Uh, um, <laughs> I like idols. Well, it's kind of funny because it, <laughs> it's kind of funny because Mitch can actually he has lived with me, so he knows I collect <laughs> things. Oh yeah, a lot um, of things. I, I want to say we had, to be honest with you, more beer mirrors than we did uh, furniture in the house. Like it, it, it's just <laughs> that's not, that's not an understatement. <laughs> Probably doubled. Um, like we ran out of wall space, uh, so. Um, oh man! At the Marine Detachment in uh, at Danfoss, um, we uh, we created a couple pass down items. Um, one was a giant sombrero, a good one, not like one of those <laughs> ones that you would get for free. Although those come into it later. Um, you would, if you were part of Fifth Squad, uh, which was a uh, infamous uh, infamous title. Um, if you were the squad leader for fifth squad, you got this giant sombrero and you had to sign your name on it. Um, and I didn't start that one, but I definitely had it for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> I definitely had it for a really long time, but that added on to other traditions. All of a sudden we started, uh, I don't know, uh, we needed a, uh, platoon sergeant. Um, so if I was a squad leader, we had to come up with a platoon sergeant, well, one day a, a guy found a stuffed animal, a monkey, <laughs> um, and we couldn't uh, we couldn't pass up on the opportunity to make uh, this monkey a, a platoon sergeant. So we made ahead, went ahead and uh, uh, named him Major Monkey, <laughs> and and we we got him pinned and everything. Uh, we had a we had a formation for it and everything. Um, this is this is the Mitch. This is the sort of stuff that Marines do when they're bored. Oh, there's, it's just downtime. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I appreciate the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody also found a one of those hunting mallards, <laughs> um, and they uh, they named him Captain Quack. And he, you know, so we had all these weird items around our room. Um, and master Sergeant milks would always go in there and he's just like, 
why are you guys collecting all this stuff? Like, it, that's the funny thing is we actually took the time to display it nicely. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I remember, I remember so walking we, in, you guys had like, you know, little shrines to these things. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we had, we had a lot of stuff. The, the funny thing is, is, you know, at the schoolhouse, we had four guys in that small room, you yeah. know, so we had a wall locker, a bed, and that was it. So we went and found a couch. We stole this couch, um, put it upstairs. Uh, one guy in our room uh, had a giant TV, so we used a giant TV. We stole a projector from a conference room. We put that in there. <laughs> I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we hit it. We hit it. It was in the roof, so we, then we'd bring it down. And, and uh, you know, so we had all this stuff filled into this small, very small room. I don't even know what the square footage of that room was, but it was ridiculous. Um, and it was kind of funny whenever one guy would move out because he graduated the schoolhouse, we would basically recruit the next guy and we would ask him, you know, what are you bringing to the table? So then <laughs> I left and another guy came in and he brought like 10 speakers with him. So you could hear our stuff all the way through the, through the detachment. Um, but it was, it was definitely interesting, but the, the sombrero was the big one. Uh, that was uh fifth squad squad leader gets a sombrero, massive golden sombrero. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, the, the monkey and the, the duck were, were next. And then, uh, um, then anytime there was a Chevy's that was in a Rundle Mills mall and we would go there and the bartender got to know us pretty well. Um, and we would always tell the waitress that it was our birthday. So we had, of course we had probably, probably a hundred of those cheap, really cheap free sombreros in our room, just stacked on top of a wall locker and master monks would walk in there during a field day and just be like, what in the world? Um, the, the other part that was always funny is that we had a massive video game collection, massive because we had four guys living in this room and we all played video games, you know? Yeah. Um, so master our Milks would come in and take one of our video games to give to his kid. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, this is, this is actually, this is a pretty funny story. So he comes in, this is when I was a platoon sergeant, he comes in and he, uh, he's looking around he goes, Hey, which one of these games are pretty good? Well, you got any new ones? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one's pretty new. It's pretty good. It's okay. It's, it's pretty short, but we enjoy it. And he's like, okay. We never thought he gave these to his kid. We just thought he was going to go play them. <laughs> um, so we gave him a very violent video game. <laughs> oh, no. So he takes it home. His kid plays it. We're going on a run one day. You know, Master Sergeant Milk's run. Nice, nice 12-miler. Yeah. Uh, Good pace. Good pace. Oh, amazing pace. You drop out. We'll, we'll, we're going to keep running, and then we'll come back for you. Um, and, uh, I was road garden in the front and I'm running, I'm running and, uh, block off this road. He runs by, I go down a couple more, I catch back up to the front and then he goes, Hey Burke, come here. I, <laughs> I, you know, make a circle. I come back, I'm running right next to him. And he goes, what the hell did you give me? <laughs> and, and I was like, uh, I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, uh, I, I, you know, the video game is the last thing that comes to mind when you're talking about Master Art Milks. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And uh, uh, he goes, I let my kid play that game. 
awful. <laughs> and they just told me to go away <laughs> directly after that. The go away. And uh, sure enough, I got that video game back that day. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And I don't think he ever took that's another video hilarious. game after that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, uh, that's but yeah, awesome. man. Uh, no, they, they, that, that, uh, being the old man of the Mardet, you get you get a lot of cultures and traditions, um, and uh, oftentimes you got to Marines do a very good job of being creative um, with how they spend their time, um, and uh, a lot of Marines came up with a lot of stupid ideas. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't all the I mean, Fifth Squad was obviously the the crown jewel of the squads. Yes, uh, based on the Sobrero. Did did any of them try their own squad like? you know, hat or shillelagh or cane. No, no. Uh, there was a cane. There was a cane. I remember the cane. So that was actually the old man of the Mar debt. And that went not to the longest person that had been there, but the actual oldest person there. Mm, and it was a cane gotcha. and it had all these signatures on it. Um, and Paul Bassiano actually started that one. Um, cause he was, uh, geez, 27 or 28. Or something, and he was a he was a PFC. <laughs> old man, <laughs> and he was he's more broken than I am now, you know. So it was it was it was just we were thinking about upgrading it to a walker at one point, but uh, um, he definitely had he had the cane. He started the cane. 